Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Bin Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com podcast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. Give the active people in your life something they'll truly appreciate. Performance apparel from Viore. Whether they're into running, surfing, hiking, or even just casual walks around the block, there's something for everyone. And if you're not sure what to gift them, you can't go wrong with something from Viore's Dream Knit Collection. It's the perfect gift and so comfortable. Get 20% off your first purchase today at Viore. V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Spotify. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Mary Jo Hadley sat in the blue glow of her family computer. She logged in quietly, one key at a time, so as not to alert her husband or kids. Next, she typed the name of a psychiatrist into a search engine. She could hardly believe what she was considering, but there seemed to be no other choice. Her 17-year-old son, Tyler, was out of control. He wasn't just a normal, rebellious teenager. He wasn't just drinking and skipping school. He was stealing, dealing drugs, and getting arrested. When he was at home, he was alarmingly dark. He'd even started joking about suicide. Mary Jo's heart sank, just thinking about her poor boy. She worried things were only getting worse. She loved her husband, Blake, deeply, but recently there had been money troubles. Bad enough, they had to ask their eldest son, Ryan, for a small loan. Blake also had a hard time saying no to Tyler. It seemed neither one of them wanted to be the disciplinarian. Mary Jo turned her attention back to the screen. As she scrolled through the therapist's contact information, she heard something behind her. She spun around in her desk chair. What she saw chilled her to her core. Tyler stood behind her, completely still, and his right hand was a hammer. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a ParCast original. The legal definition of a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how the passions of our relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? 
if there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results. You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Crimes of Passion for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week, we're talking about Tyler Hadley. In 2011, 17-year-old Tyler murdered his parents and threw a house party afterwards to celebrate. In this episode, we'll discuss Tyler's childhood and examine the incidents that led to his horrific crime. Next week, we'll talk about Tyler's killer house party and explore his arrest and the aftermath of his crimes. Blake and Mary Jo Hadley moved to Port St. Lucie, Florida in 1987, right after their wedding. The coastal city, located about 40 miles north of West Palm Beach, was a dream come true. It was beautiful and affordable, the perfect place to start a family. The couple built a white ranch-style house on Granger Street and settled in to build a life together. The life they built was idyllic at first. Their first son, Ryan, was born in November of 1987, and over the next few years, the Hadleys lived the American dream. Mary Jo taught elementary school, while Blake worked as an engineer. They became active members of the St. Lucie Catholic Church and the community. The only thing they wanted was a second child to make their family complete. But when their son Tyler was born on December 16, 1993, there were complications. The doctors had to induce labor a month early, and Tyler was born premature. The baby's lungs were underdeveloped, and he spent the first three weeks of his life in an incubator. Mary Jo visited him every day, but always worried she wasn't bonding enough with her child. Later, she'd blame Tyler's behavioral problems on this early separation. Just a note before we continue. I am not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Mary Jo had reason to be concerned about her connection with Tyler. In developmental psychology, attachment theory holds that mothers and babies need to have close physical proximity to one another in order for an emotional bond to form. With Tyler in an incubator for the first three weeks of life, it's possible that a lack of skin-to-skin -skin contact with his mother caused emotional stress in both parent and child. The bond between a premature baby and its mother is affected by more than just physical proximity. During a 2016 study on the psychological effects of the NICU, researchers found that parents of premature babies often displayed symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Parents with children in the NICU felt a sense of powerlessness that increased general feelings of guilt and anger. Unfortunately, things didn't get any easier when Tyler came home from the hospital. When he was only three months old, 
he contracted a bad case of the chickenpox. Luckily, he got over the disease, but it wasn't long before doctors discovered Tyler had a hormone imbalance. He was put on thyroid medication at a young age. Low thyroid levels like Tyler's can interfere with normal growth and development. According to Dr. Andrew J. Bauer, a pediatric endocrinologist, symptoms can include depression, behavioral problems, weight gain, and delayed puberty. Tyler suffered from all of these and, as a result, struggled with low self-esteem from a young age. Blake and Mary Jo felt awful that their son had to suffer from so many health problems, but they overcompensated by indulging Tyler's every whim. They coddled him, got him anything he wanted, and rarely ever told him no. According to family members, Mary Jo grew extremely protective of Tyler. She became defensive if anyone suggested she needed to be firmer with him. In her opinion, he was a sensitive boy who could do no wrong. As a result, Tyler became overly dependent on his parents. Family members described Tyler as a mama's boy who clung to Mary Jo and demanded constant reassurance that she loved him. He was also close to his father and refused to go to bed before Blake got home from work. Still, Blake and Mary Jo didn't let Tyler get away with everything. They absolutely insisted he come to Catholic Mass with them every Sunday, without exception. The couple was proud of their Catholic faith. They hoped spiritual instruction would help Tyler cope with his health problems and improve his self-esteem. Sadly, young Tyler continued to be overly critical toward himself throughout his childhood. When he was just a toddler, Tyler started obsessing over his weight. He called himself ugly and stupid. Hearing him talk about himself that way broke Mary Jo's heart. She assured her son that she loved him and thought he was perfect, but Tyler never seemed to accept the praise. Tyler's issues are not uncommon. Researcher and child psychologist Joan Luby states that preschoolers as young as three can show signs of major depression. Her research at Washington University found that depressed children have similar brain activation patterns to those seen in adults diagnosed with the same disorder. According to the National Association of School Psychologists, depressed children lack energy or enthusiasm and are often withdrawn and unable to enjoy life. Like with adults, depression can lead children to suicidal ideation and attempts to take their own lives. It's made worse by the fact that most children don't fully understand death or the consequences of their actions. But in spite of these early difficulties, Tyler had a relatively easy time transitioning into elementary school. He attended the Village Green Environmental Study School, a magnet school where Mary Jo taught first grade. The curriculum was designed to help students become world changers who cared about conservation and the environment. Teachers remember Tyler as an engaged and bright student who had a sharp sense of humor. Mary Jo was very involved in Tyler's education and often checked in with his teachers to make sure he was keeping up with his schoolwork. She needn't have worried. Tyler always got good grades. It was the social aspect of school he had trouble with. During his first few years at Village Green, Tyler didn't make any friends at all. 
But in 2003, at the age of nine, he became close with a neighbor boy named Michael Mandel. Michael's family had just moved into the neighborhood. He got to know Tyler after he spotted him playing in the front yard. The two became fast friends and had fun riding bikes and playing with Pokemon cards together. Michael got along with Tyler well. He seemed like a typical kid at first, but his opinion changed one day in 2004, when 10-year-old Michael followed a trail through the woods one day to meet Tyler. He and Tyler were planning to play outside together until evening. Then, Tyler's older brother, Ryan, had promised to drive them to the mall. Michael was going to pool his allowance together with Tyler's to buy some Pokemon cards. Michael approached their usual hangout spot, a small clearing surrounded by tall trees. As he got closer, he saw that Tyler was already there climbing a tree. When Michael emerged into the clearing, he realized there was something wrong. Tyler had perched on a branch and was tying a bungee cord into a noose around his neck. I'm gonna kill myself, 10-year-old Tyler told his friend. As he registered what was happening, Michael began to feel sick. His heart was pounding in his ears. He felt like he was going to throw up. He didn't know what to do, but he was scared. He thought maybe if he could get his hands to stop shaking, he could wrestle his best friend to the ground. In a weak voice, Michael warned Tyler that if he tried anything, he would stop him. For a moment, time stood still as Tyler contemplated Michael's response. Finally, he laughed. Michael sighed with relief. Tyler continued to cackle as he removed the bungee cord from around his neck. Michael's heartbeat slowed and the two started playing as if nothing had happened. Michael never told any adults what had happened, but he always wondered what had been so funny. Though Tyler revealed one of his darkest impulses to Michael that day, on the whole, he kept them to himself. Tyler's suicidal tendencies went mostly undetected by the adults in his life. Whenever someone did bring up Tyler's unusual behavior, Blake and Mary Jo were always on hand to shut them down. In their eyes, there was nothing wrong with their son. He just had a dark sense of humor. Left largely unchecked, Tyler's self-esteem issues worsened as he got older. According to his maternal grandmother, Maggie DiVittorio, a doctor once called Tyler sturdy. Tyler apparently interpreted the comment as the doctor calling him fat. He was terrified his thyroid condition, combined with a family history of obesity, meant he too would be overweight. Mary Jo tried her best to make Tyler feel good about himself. When he started complaining about his height, she spoke to a doctor about prescribing him human growth hormone, or HGH, to make him taller. This kind of treatment is highly controversial. According to Dr. Emily C. Walverd, a professor of clinical pediatrics, children who are treated with the growth hormone may become more depressed and withdrawn over time. Since Tyler was already exhibiting symptoms of depression and low self-esteem, HGH treatment posed a serious risk to his mental well-being. But Mary Jo was convinced Tyler would be teased if he wasn't tall. She decided that a few extra inches of height were worth the risk of side effects. But the treatment wasn't cheap and amounted to almost $3,000 a month. 
Blake and Mary Jo went into debt to cover the extra expense. Tyler administered the HGH injection himself every day. His best friend Michael remembered watching Tyler as he injected himself in the thigh. A few times, Tyler offered the needle to Michael, who always turned him down. It seemed like the friends had quickly outgrown their Pokemon days. Another childhood friend, Mark Andrews, remembered Tyler constantly joking about suicide and murder. That's why he didn't think anything was unusual when Tyler said he'd kill his parents one day. Mark knew Tyler was angry after fighting with his mom, and the conversation soon turned into jokes. But this joke had a kernel of truth to it. Coming up, we'll talk about Tyler's troubled teen years and his parents' attempts to curb his wild behavior. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now. Back to the story. In 2006, 13-year-old Tyler Hadley was growing up fast. After a childhood plagued with health and emotional problems, puberty was proving even more difficult. To deal with his problems, he started experimenting with drugs in his hometown of Port St. Lucie, Florida. Tyler started off by sneaking alcoholic drinks at his friends' houses. But before the year was out, he had graduated to smoking and selling pot. He was also taking any pills he could get his hands on, including ecstasy and Xanax. The extreme pace of his behavior may have been connected with an underlying mental health issue. According to Dr. Sarpa Tashkaran, an adolescent psychiatrist, teenagers with mental health disorders are more prone to abuse drugs and alcohol. Illegal substances can temporarily alleviate day-to-day -day symptoms like hopelessness and anxiety. It's possible that Tyler, who started displaying symptoms of depression at the young age of three, used drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. Once Tyler began taking drugs, his behavior changed. Before, he had always been shy and polite at school. Now, he suddenly began having bizarre outbursts. Sometimes, when students were supposed to be having quiet time, Tyler laughed loudly to himself. Classmate Cameron Adams recalled that once, in the middle of biology, he started mooing like a cow. As his behavior got more erratic, neighborhood parents became wary of Tyler. Mel Jones, a friend of Mary Jo's, had a son who was Tyler's age. For years, the four went on outings to the mall together. The families had always been close, but that changed once Tyler turned 13. 
One night in 2006, Mel was out to dinner with the Hadleys when Tyler started to say things to his mother that made Mel uneasy. He repeatedly asked Mary Jo if she hated him and wanted him dead. Mary Jo responded calmly, as if there was nothing strange about Tyler asking her those things. Mel didn't want her son to be exposed to that kind of talk, so she eventually forbade him from hanging out with Tyler and the Hadleys. Mel was joined by their neighbor, Dee Dee Maynard. Maynard caught a group of boys, including Tyler, smoking at a local wildlife preserve. But when she confronted Mary Jo about it, Mary Jo insisted that her son didn't smoke and wouldn't hear otherwise. According to psychiatrist Marcia Sirota, many parents are in denial about their child's bad behavior. They idealize their children and find excuses to explain away their faults. By protecting Tyler from criticism, Mary Jo and Blake made him feel there was no consequences for his actions. Two weeks after Dee Dee spoke to Mary Jo about Tyler, he and his friends purposefully set fire to an old couch they'd brought inside the wildlife preserve. Luckily, someone called the fire department and the blaze was put out before it could spread. The authorities wrote off the incident as a childish prank and not a real count of arson. But the fire was a wake-up call for Mary Jo. For the first time, she put her foot down with Tyler, though the house rules remained pretty loose. He had a new 11 p.m. curfew and was required to tell his parents where he was going and who he was going with. The rules were a step in the right direction, but there still weren't many consequences when Tyler broke them. Meanwhile, his behavior was only getting worse. Money started disappearing from Blake and Mary Jo's wallets. Occasionally, Tyler took their debit cards and withdrew cash from their bank accounts. The stealing became so frequent that the frustrated parents advised visiting friends and family members to leave their purses and wallets locked in their cars. After a few more frustrating months, Mary Jo and Blake got stricter. Mary Jo bought the whole family iPhone so she could track Tyler's whereabouts. When he didn't come home one night, she used the tracker to locate him. He had told his parents he was going to the movies, but he actually was partying at a friend's house. Mary Jo and Blake drove to the party so they could drag him back home. When they arrived, they found that Tyler was a drunken mess. A few kids actually thanked them for taking him home. Through the iPhone, Mary Jo also discovered that he was skipping school every day. When she asked him about it, he lied and told her he had been there. Sometimes she'd call him and he'd answer in a hushed voice, pretending to be in class. According to Dr. Kathleen Heidi, a professor of criminology at the University of South Florida, teens that exhibit a persistent pattern of disruptive behavior like destruction of property, deceitfulness, theft, and truancy will often be diagnosed with conduct disorder. If left untreated, a person with conduct disorder can go on to develop antisocial personality disorder. Individuals with antisocial personality disorder show a pervasive pattern of disregard for the rights of others. They show no guilt or remorse for their behavior. According to the Mayo Clinic, individuals with this disorder are also likely to display homicidal and suicidal behaviors. No matter what Mary Jo and Blake tried, 
Tyler's drug use and rule-breaking continued, and they weren't his only problems. In his mid-teens, he began to show signs of bulimia as well. His older brother Ryan noticed that Tyler would spend long amounts of time in the bathroom. On several occasions, Tyler ate a whole pizza, then locked himself in the bathroom to take a shower. Ryan could hear puking noises underneath the sound of running water. Later, Tyler would emerge and ask if they could go to McDonald's. Family members also found pools of vomit in their backyard. No one in his family could understand why Tyler suffered from these kinds of body issues. The HGH treatment helped him reach a height of six foot one, and he wore jeans with a 32-inch waist. But body dysmorphic disorder, or BDD, is a body image disorder characterized by persistent and intrusive preoccupation with an imagined defect in one's appearance. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, patients with BDD commonly also suffer from other anxiety and depression disorders. Since Tyler never received therapy for his early depression and low self-esteem issues, it's possible his symptoms evolved into something more serious. The worse Tyler's behavioral issues became, the more tension they caused between Blake and Mary Jo Hadley. Blake's only retreat was his work at the power plant, but he felt he had to hide his troubles there as well. He didn't want any of his co-workers to know that something was troubling him. Their jobs were hard enough. They didn't need to hear about his problems too. Almost every night, Blake and Mary Jo fought, usually about Tyler. For example, Mary Jo wanted to buy their son a car for his 16th birthday. She thought it would improve his moodiness and make other kids like him more if he had his own wheels. After all he had been putting them through, Blake couldn't believe his wife wanted to reward Tyler for his bad behavior. That boy didn't need a car. He needed a new attitude. Besides, the family couldn't afford a large purchase right now. They'd gone into debt to pay for all those years of HGH treatments. It was mornings after fights like those that Blake talked to his buddy, Brian. They worked together for over 15 years. Blake thought about how Brian's teenage son worked at the plant during the summer. Maybe that was something that could be good for Tyler. He needed to learn about hard work and responsibility. If he wanted a car, he could pay for it on his own. The more Blake thought about it, the better the idea seemed. He imagined what it would be like for Tyler to come and work at the plant. He liked the image of a father and son working side by side. But then, Blake thought about Tyler's tantrums and his sulkiness. He couldn't put his co-workers through that. Tyler would have to get a job someplace else. But of course, Tyler had no intention of getting a job. When he didn't get a car for his 16th birthday, he started stealing his parents' cars in the middle of the night instead. When they confronted him about it, he said he felt cooped up without a car of his own. Exasperated, Blake and Mary Jo caved. If they bought him a car, they thought maybe their son would finally be happy. They moved their finances around and somehow found a way to buy Tyler a brand new, like gold Lincoln. And it worked for a little while. Tyler's friends were all jealous of the new car, 
which he pretended that he had bought for himself, but he was quickly back to his destructive behavior. By December of 2010, 17-year-old Tyler Struency was at an all-time high. Sometimes he skipped whole weeks of school or would show up for just one class and then leave. He begged his parents to let him go to Indian River State College, an adult education school instead. The college offered a drop back in program designed for people who wanted to get their GED after dropping out of high school. The program was free for students age 16 to 21 and was a popular option for kids who were being bullied in regular school. Tyler had always led Mary Jo to believe that he was being bullied, but there's no evidence to show that his stories were true. It's likely that he lied to elicit sympathy from his indulgent mother. Tyler enrolled in the college's program, but his attendance was short-lived. After showing up to class reeking of pot, he was kicked out of the program and had to return to Port St. Lucie High. Mary Jo had to drive Tyler to school every day to ensure that he'd actually go to class. Not even that worked. Eventually, Mary Jo told Tyler that if he didn't go to school, the truancy officer would come after her. Tyler said he didn't care if they did. He didn't seem to care about much at all anymore. Back at Port St. Lucie High, Tyler's problems were still getting worse. He started getting into fights over drugs. One night, someone smashed the back window of the light gold Lincoln after Tyler had tried to rob him. Tyler was furious. He tried to recruit some people to help him get back at the guy, but everyone was too scared to join him. Later, when neighbors asked Mary Jo what had happened to Tyler's window, she defended him, as always. She claimed that some kids who were bullying Tyler broke the window as a prank. In late April of 2011, 17-year-old Tyler's issues finally came to a head. He was arrested and charged with aggravated battery. The details of the incident aren't publicized, but the charge means Tyler either used a deadly weapon or inflicted great bodily harm, and he'd done this to one of his friends. Aggravated battery is a felony in the state of Florida, but Tyler was still a juvenile and charged accordingly. He spent a week in jail and another two under house arrest. Now that he had a juvenile record, Mary Jo and Blake could no longer deny that their son was in serious trouble. They brought Tyler to New Horizons, a mental health clinic, and had him evaluated. The center thought that Tyler's issues were severe enough to warrant inpatient care, but Tyler refused to stay there overnight. Blake and Mary Jo tried to have Tyler involuntarily committed, but legally could not do so unless Tyler was deemed to be a threat to himself or others. In the estimation of the New Horizon Center, Tyler did not meet those qualifications. So Tyler's conduct continued. One early morning, he woke up the family after stumbling home drunk from a party. The incident caused Mary Jo and Blake to look for another mental health facility that specialized in patients with substance abuse issues. They landed on Riga Mental Health Center. Tyler agreed to enroll in the Intensive Outpatient Program, a slightly less structured program for patients who didn't require as much supervision. Patients attended three hours a day, three times a week. Best of all, 
it was covered under Blake's insurance. Up until this point, Mary Jo was hesitant to talk to her friends and family about her problems with Tyler. She preferred to keep up appearances and pretended everything was okay. Eventually, though, she needed someone to confide in. She told her friend Mel all about Tyler's recent troubles and how he had started going to counseling. Mel asked Mary Jo if she was afraid that Tyler might ever hurt her. Never, Mary Jo declared. I'm only worried that he might hurt himself. Coming up, we'll talk about how Tyler's urge to throw an epic house party led him to plot the murder of his parents. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like UGG, Samsung, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's Rakuten. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Now, back to the story. In 2011, 17-year-old Tyler Hadley was out of control. Ever since he was young, he had been tormented by mental and physical health problems. The issues pushed him to self-medicate with drugs, which in turn led to more and more deviant behavior. He went from selling drugs and committing arson to stealing from his parents. There seemed to be no end in sight to his bad behavior. One day in May that year, Tyler went to his friend Matt Nobile's bedroom to hang out and smoke pot. It was good to chill out away from his annoying parents. They'd been insufferable ever since he got arrested. He wished he could have his friends over for a party at his house, but there was no way his parents would ever allow it. They didn't love him anymore. He was sure of it. Someone passed Tyler the bong and he took a rip. As he exhaled, he looked around the room. I'm going to kill my parents, he said. Everyone started laughing. When they hung out together, Tyler and his friends often made jokes about doing shocking things like burning down churches or killing babies. They tried to one-up each other, seeing who could say the most outrageous thing to be funny. I'm really going to kill my parents, he said again. Then he started to detail his plans. He'd have to catch them off guard, his dad especially. Blake was a big guy and could easily overpower him. Once they were dead, He'd steal their money and throw himself a big party while their bodies were in the house. 
Nobody had ever done that before, he thought. No one at Matt Nobile's house that night actually believed that Tyler was serious about killing his parents. Michael Mandel, Tyler's childhood best friend, tried to change the subject. He hated how Tyler joked about Blake and Mary Jo, who were practically surrogate parents to him. Sometimes Tyler told his friends that his real father was dead and that Blake was his stepfather. Other times, he told people that Blake punched him in the face and sexually abused him. Michael never corrected Tyler in front of their friends, but he couldn't figure out why. Tyler would tell lies about the fun-loving man who had spent hours with them on the basketball court and took them to FSU football games. According to friends and family, there was no truth to Tyler's shocking claims. It's likely that Tyler fabricated the stories in order to elicit sympathy from his classmates, just like he used the bullying storyline to manipulate his mother. Tyler continued to be especially good at manipulating Mary Jo. To her, he appeared to be getting better. When she checked up on him through the iPhone tracker, Tyler was actually where he said he would be. He started coming home at night and pitching in around the house more. It seemed like Tyler was going back to being his cooperative old self. Unfortunately, the good behavior was all an act. Tyler was serious about what he said in Matt Nobile's bedroom. He was going to kill his parents just when they least expected it. As a reward for his good behavior, Tyler's father, Blake, decided to take Tyler on a trip for a weekend to his uncle Mike's cabin in Georgia. Mary Jo worried that Tyler might regress if he skipped his counseling sessions, but Blake thought family bonding would be good for their son. Blake's siblings, Mike and Linda, would also be there with their spouses. Mary Jo reluctantly agreed, and the father and son set off. During the trip, Tyler's uncle noticed that something was off. In the evenings, Tyler would draw as a stress-relieving part of his therapy. One night, Uncle Mike took a look at what Tyler was drawing. It was his cabin, engulfed in flames. That was the least of Tyler's unsettling behavior. He also had a habit of wandering outside in the middle of the night. Mike and his wife, Cindy, woke up one morning at 2 a.m. to see Tyler standing outside their bedroom window. He pressed his hands against the glass and peered inside. Mike and Cindy were unnerved, and they told Blake about it the next day. Blake was unfazed. You know Tyler, he said. Then, on the last day of the trip, the family went on a hike. Another of Tyler's uncles, Ray Ankrum, gave him a walking stick, but he refused to stop hitting things with it. When Ray told him to cut it out, Tyler said he had arachnophobia and was whacking spiders. Eventually, Ray had to take the stick away. Later on, out of nowhere, Tyler blurted out, Menendez brothers, the names of two brothers who murdered their parents in the 90s. When Ray called him out on it, Tyler replied that they were his heroes. They're not heroes in my book, Ray replied. That evening, as Blake and Tyler prepared to drive home, Tyler smiled and told the family what a great time he'd had. After years of his sullen behavior, 
Blake was overjoyed that Tyler actually seemed to have fun with his family for once. When they were out on the road, Blake called his brother to thank him for the trip. It had been just the medicine that Tyler had needed. But Blake was just another victim of his son's manipulation. As father and son drove back to Florida, Tyler was already plotting his parents' murder. Once he was home from Georgia, Tyler assembled the tools he planned to kill his parents with, a knife, a hammer, and most disturbingly, hedge trimmers. He hid them in his room, and for the next few days, he lay in wait. On Friday, July 15th, the Hadleys went to the Longhorn Steakhouse to celebrate a cousin's birthday. According to Nathaniel Rich's reporting for Rolling Stone magazine, Tyler would have an ominous exchange during a chance meeting with a friend shortly before the incident. On the way to the restaurant, they stopped at the Circle K to fill up on gas. Tyler's friend, Cameron Adams, was at the gas station. He asked Tyler how his parents were doing. Oh, Tyler said quietly, they're all right. When Cameron mentioned that it was his birthday, Tyler told him to swing by his house the next night. His parents would be out of town and he'd be throwing a party. They could celebrate together. Then Tyler got back in the car with his parents so they could head to dinner. Tyler was remarkably well-behaved at the birthday dinner. Family members recall that he actually hugged people hello. This was something he hadn't done in years. Mary Jo confided in her mother that she felt like she had the old Tyler back. She had no idea how wrong she was. That night, while Blake and Mary Jo slept, Tyler crept into their room with the hedge-trimming shears. He stood there for a while and thought about killing his parents. But for some reason, he decided that he couldn't go through with it that night and returned to his own room. When Mary Jo and Blake woke up the next morning, July 16th, they had no idea that their son had been plotting to kill them in their sleep. They went about their usual Saturday routine, unaware of what was to come. Meanwhile, Tyler's friends were encouraging what they thought was a joke. At 9.40 a.m., Matt Nobile reached out to Tyler. Did you do it? Tyler replied, no, but I'm gonna. At 1.15 p.m., Tyler updated his Facebook status. Party at my crib tonight. Maybe. While Mary Jo and Blake were still running errands, Tyler had some friends over to smoke weed. Best friend Michael Mandel was there with his girlfriend, Morgan, along with another boy, Daniel Roberts. Tyler told them that his parents were going to Orlando that night and he'd be throwing a house party as soon as they were gone. Tyler seemed oddly jumpy the whole time his guests were there. When it was time to go, Michael discovered that his car battery had died. His father came by and took Michael and Morgan home. Daniel stayed behind, thinking that Tyler would give him a lift home in his light gold Lincoln. Daniel and Tyler sat in the living room together, making conversation before Daniel had to go home. Daniel hoped the two would be left alone for a while. He needed a break from his parents, and he had heard terrible things about Tyler's. Tyler claimed Mary Jo wouldn't let him leave the house and that Blake was violent and abusive. After a few more minutes, 
Daniel noticed that Tyler seemed very on edge. He was just about to ask him for a ride home when Mary Jo and Blake pulled into the driveway in their SUV. Suddenly, Tyler freaked. He ushered Daniel out the back door. The two ran outside and Tyler helped Daniel hop over the fence and told him to run. Daniel didn't know why he was running away, but assumed Tyler wasn't allowed to have friends over. In reality, Daniel was running because Tyler didn't want him getting in the way of the plan. Once his friend was gone, Tyler hid his parents' cell phones. If something went wrong in his plan, no one could call 911. Shortly before five, he popped three ecstasy pills. He put on some rap and began his role. Between the drugs and Lil Boozy's song, Feel Lucky, Tyler was as ready as he'd ever be. The drugs curbed Tyler's inhibitions. Soon, he wasn't hindered by fear about what would happen after he killed his mother and father. The euphoria set in and suddenly there was no past or future. All he could think about was now, and what he wanted now was to throw the party of the century. Tyler's heart pounded in his ears in time with the music. He wiped the sweat from his forehead and jumped up and down. He was feeling good, but his parents' luck had run out. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with part two of Tyler Hadley's story. We'll discuss Tyler's horrifying double murder and the killer party he threw to celebrate his parents' death. We'll also discuss his arrest and the aftermath of his crimes. For more information on Tyler Hadley, among the many sources we used, we found See How Much You Love Me by Amber Hunt, extremely helpful to our research, along with Nathaniel Rich's piece on the case for Rolling Stone magazine, Tyler Hadley's Killer Party, and A Thousand Fireflies by Ryan Hadley and Dan Yurick. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals like Crimes of Passion for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Crimes of Passion on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion was created by Max Cutler as a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Kate McCurr. I'm Lainey Hobbs. <laughs>